Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Welcome back to Live Mike. Emily Lonsberry. Second hour of the program today, 106 is the time. All right, I, I promised I was going to try not to rant and rave anymore about uh, what took place in Cottonwood Heights just yesterday, but let me uh, just share one text message I just got, and it's to that point of, uh, you know, you, you actually can make a difference. You can uh, let your voice be heard. It doesn't cost any money to do so. Uh, a quick text here, and then I'll move on to the topic at hand. It says, Lee, I'm an elected official in a local municipality. When we have our city council meetings, we have, if we're lucky, six or seven people show up at the meetings. Then everyone complains that government doesn't work and no one has a voice. All right. So you see the point being made there? There are opportunities, and there are many who do not take advantage of those opportunities, and it is those who then have the loudest complaints to make after the fact, after the opportunity to engage with the elected leaders and officials and the decision makers and the policy makers, after the opportunity passes you by to engage those people, that's when everyone complains that the government doesn't work and no one has a voice. All right. Uh, okay, okay. Now, I, I think I'm done. I think that'll be my, my last little bit I'll share <laughs> regarding uh, what took place in Cottonwood Heights just last night. Uh, man, who knows? Maybe we'll come back to it. Uh, right now, though, let me just say congratulations. Congratulations to you, uh, to me, to all of us around the state of Utah. What am I talking about? Well, uh, a little bit of context. The governor, uh, he set a challenge. He set a challenge recently to get our seven-day rolling average below 500. Here's that original challenge. I'm going to challenge all of us to uh, help do what we need to do to get our average infection rate, or excuse me, our average case rate below 500 by August the 1st. You hear that? That was the challenge. August the 1st was Saturday, and guess what? At, uh, it's about 1 o'clock each day that the Utah Department of Health releases its data. And I try to, I try to step away from uh, the news cycle during the weekend, try to dedicate all my time to uh, you know, kind of just cl- clear my head and also my family. But knowing that the governor had set August 1st as the date where we need to get our rolling average, our seven-day rolling average below 500, uh, I was glued to my email inbox. And as soon as I came through, I, uh, uh, I was sweating. I thought, oh, my gosh, did we do it? Did we do it? Because the consequences, as you know, could have been a mandatory mask mandate. I, I know the gov- governor has been resistant to that. I have been resistant to that. But as we have recently seen a spike in cases, we needed to somehow get that down. And we pulled it off. On Saturday, the rolling average dipped below 500. It has remained there since then. Today, you heard Nick Wyatt just a moment ago uh, sharing these details that we are currently facing a seven-day roll, a rolling seven-day average for positive tests uh, of 435 a day. Now, we need to get our, we need to get our 
our lab, uh, our per percentage of positive lab tests. We need to get that down. Right now, it's at 9.8%. It'd be great if we could drive that down even more. Uh, but the big number of daily positive case increases uh, is, is trending in the right direction, and we have met the goal. And now it's not certain. It's not certain what will come next. We don't know what the future holds, but we accomplished the mission set out for us uh, by Governor Gary Herbert. So be proud. Be proud. And let's stay the course. And I'd also like to point out that those uh, who were demanding a mask mandate, those who called uh, the governor so foolish and asserted that he had blood on his hands, those people, they didn't have faith in us. They didn't have faith in Utah's ability to exercise good, wise, prudent, personal responsibility, nor that they could without, nor that we could without a mandate accomplish goals. Well, we have proven them wrong. We have proven them wrong. So let's stay the course. Let's stay the course, all right? And prove not only those here in Utah yelling and shouting for a mask mandate, uh, but those all across the country. All right? We can accomplish this task. We can rid this state of this virus via our own personal responsibility. I believe in that. I believe in that 100%. Now, uh, it's not without some hiccups along the way. It is not without great inconvenience along the way. And right now, as the, schools, uh, the school year nears, we know that uh, that is one of the big inconveniences, one of the big headaches that is being caused by this coronavirus. Schools uh, right now have their plans in place, uh, and Salt Lake City School District hosted a press conference uh, later on Friday where they discussed the plans for children to return to school in the fall. And the district's interim superintendent, who uh, will be a guest of mine after the break, let me share with you, though, first a few of the words he had to say uh, on Friday. Uh, he said that uh, they want to do the best for kids. We want our children back in school, and we want them back in school as quickly as we can, uh, but we also want to do that safely. That's why we plan to start the school year online. Okay, so that's the news. The Salt Lake City School District will be starting classes online. There will not be in-person uh, instruction at the onset. Now, the superintendent, the interim superintendent, uh, Mr. Madden, he continued saying that school has been increasing technology to give students to use at home. And in those two weeks before the students come back, we're going to distribute laptops, iPads, get the technology out to our students, make sure that it works in their homes. We've got 13,000 laptops ready to go. We've got about 6,000 more on the way. And we've got about 1,000 iPads. All right, now it's pretty universally agreed upon that uh, what took place, not just here in Utah, but across the country and the world, what took place this spring as students wrapped up their school year and did so uh, under this remote learning situation, that it, it, it didn't work out very well, that not much learning happened, and that uh, education divides, which existed before the coronavirus era, were only amplified by the challenges uh, of, of distance learning. And so the superintendent is aware of that and uh, wants to make sure that students are now ready for online learning. Administrators, uh, 
and teachers are going to administer tests to children in that two-week period so we can look at learning gaps. It will allow teachers time to set up meetings with individual students and families uh, and make personal connections that we know are vital to being successful in this online environment. Now, the superintendent went on describing some of the differences between what will come in the fall uh, and what happened in the spring, talking about how this year's instruction will differ. Uh, we'll hold in-person instruction with our, even in our remote mode, so teachers will be teaching directly with kids uh, on the platform. Now, how long will this be the case? How long will the remote learning be the exclusive way instruction is delivered in the Salt Lake City School District? Uh, we don't know. We don't exactly know. But the superintendent did say that when conditions improve, that we may be able to, at least in the Salt Lake City School District, take steps back towards welcoming students back into the classroom. What are the parameters? What is the data the district is following? I will ask the superintendent, Larry Madden, next on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind, only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do? in the face of an international disaster decades in the making. That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Don't get this straight. Alliance for a Better View taught, they claim on the one hand that police overreacted, and yet they are also calling for an investigation. How do you assert that there was an overreaction without first knowing the results uh, and the outcome of an investigation? Anyway, I'm sorry. I told you I was going to stop talking about this. <laughs> okay. All right. Stepping away. Now, let's look at schools. All right. Uh, you heard some of the clips from a press conference which was delivered by the Salt Lake City School District, specifically the interim superintendent, Larry Madden, as he uh, announced uh, the, that school would commence on the 8th of September uh, online, that there would be remote learning taking place. Well, uh, he very kindly has joined us to speak at greater length about uh, the plan for the district and other matters. Larry Madden, interim superintendent of the Salt Lake City School uh, District, joining me on the line now. Sir, how are you? I am good. How are you? I, I'm, I'm well, thank you. Uh, can I ask you a personal question first? What's it like? What's it like to, to bear the responsibility uh, that you bear right now, making these types of decisions for these students and teachers? Uh, it is 24-7. I literally, when I fall asleep, if I fall asleep, I dream about it. And uh, it, it's intense. It affects, it affects people's lives. Uh, and it's, I, I, take it, I take it very, very seriously. And so um, I, I can't, uh, it's constant. It's nonstop. 
You, uh, you have announced that the 8th uh, of September will be day one for instruction, but it will be uh, remote. You also uh, said, sir, that your goal is to provide quality learning while maintaining the safety of your community and taking steps that will allow us to open and remain open as soon as it is safe. Why is this the best plan to accomplish that goal? Well, uh, the first thing we do is, uh, you know, when we when we start remotely, obviously uh, it's the ultimate social distancing, right? I mean, we are definitely keeping people apart, um, and we think it's uh, we think that's we think that's the safest. Uh, we also believe that uh, we learned a lot in the spring, uh, and I know that p- people had uh, some complaints about some of the remote learning. There were a lot of compliments about the remote learning as well. But we, will, we learned a lot, and we've been training teachers all summer. We've got lots of training lined up in the fall. And when we start our remote learning this fall, it's, it's not going to be the same as it was in the spring. Um, we're confident that we can get the technology that we need to to all of our families, and not just the technology but the Internet access that they'll need, and um, have our teachers prepared to not just take education and put it online, but to do it well online. Those are not necessarily the same thing. What are some of those? What are some of, of those ways that they'll be able to do so smartly? What are, how are uh, teachers' instructions different now from the way things were operating in the spring? So we're going to use uh, one platform. Every teacher will put their uh, put their class up on this Canvas platform, and within that platform, there would be links to the programs and um, things that they would use that are internet-based. And so it's kind of a one-stop shopping thing. Like, all you have to do is get on that Canvas page. And so I think it'll make it, well, for one, it'll make it much easier for students because they know exactly where to go to get started. But I think it'll also make it much easier for parents because they won't have to try to figure out, uh, you know, we've got a Zoom call over here. We've got an activity that I'm supposed to go to this website. It'll all be linked up through the through the Canvas page. So I think that'll make it much uh much better. And then we will also do some synchronous or in-person, not in, not in-person, but in-person remotely classes with kids. So, uh, you know, some of the classes, like at 8 o'clock on Tuesday morning, you got to go to math. And so a student will log in, that class will start, and the teacher will teach that class synchronously. That won't be with all the classes all the time, but they will have some, um, some of that that goes on throughout the week. And that wasn't the practice in the springtime, is that correct? It wasn't it wasn't the routine. I think I would say uh-huh. I, there were you know teachers uh, have different abilities with technology like we all do, and sure. some folks dove right in and they figured it out quick and did some really incredible work. They were having you know students do group work. Uh, they'd break them out into subgroups. They'd pull them back. They'd have you know great discussions and conversations. And you know for other folks that the technology was so new to them, it was a little bit more difficult. Um, I think we were real tolerant in the spring, and I think that was the right thing to do. When we first went out, we were going out for two weeks, and, um, you know, here, here we are. So um, I, I, feel like we, I feel like we learned a ton, and uh, a lot of good things did happen. Sure. Uh, the, the second part of your quote I read there, it talks about how uh, you'd like this plan or that this plan is designed or has the goal of providing quality learning while maintaining safety in our community. And the second part is you, uh, as you take steps that will allow us to open and remain open as soon as it's safe. Can you talk to me a bit about the data that you're following uh, that will indicate to you that it is in fact safe to reopen? Yeah. So, uh, you know, and once again, I'll just I'll preface this with 
this thing just keeps changing every sure. day, right? So we're going to keep communicating with the health department. We're going to keep talking to our parents and getting input. But the two points that we kind of launch from now are positive test percentage. So we're looking for a positive test percentage below 5%. And in, um, in other countries where they've gone back, those that had percentages below 3, uh, mm-hmm. they tended to be quite successful. So we're looking at, we're looking at 5 for the positive test rate percentage where we would come back in a hybrid model. Is that five, that, can I stop it for a second? Is that is that five percent statewide or within district boundaries? Salt Lake County. We're looking at Salt Lake County, uh, you know, because I mean we're we're, we're right. Salt Lake City, but you know these right our 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 borders are uh, are we're all crossing them all the time. So we're looking at Salt Lake County for that, and same thing for the daily new cases, and what we're looking for is a number of ten or lower. Uh, right now, it's down to 16.1. Last week when we had the board meeting, I think it was about 17.6, and the week before that, it was 19.6. So that one's moving in a very positive uh, direction and pretty quickly. Where's your positive percentage rate right now? I'm more statewide. I think we're at 9.8 statewide. Where are you uh, in the county? That is what we're at right now. We're looking at over the last seven days average, right. I think it was 9.7. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it varies, question. though, right, within the county, too. So Yeah, yeah. Uh, final question I'll ask you. I have uh, become aware of a number of parents with children in your district who, uh, you know, very practically rely intensely on the ability to send their children to school in order that they might go to work. Some of those parents I know now are considering going through uh, the steps to send their children to, to other districts. Do you have a, uh, a message for those folks or anything you'd like to communicate to them? Well, yeah, it's real hard, um, you know. And we're we're working right now with uh, with partners. We'll have a meeting later in the week. What we're trying to do is find any way that we can to provide support. So whether that was to uh, you know try to pull together groups of people and communities to support each other, mm-hmm. or find ways that we actually can uh, you know offer childcare, find ways to help people with that. It's very real. I, I what they're feeling is is real and. If we can do anything to help support that, we want to do it. We will also, you know, be bringing back to, we will have the option of doing some small group stuff in person. So, like, you know, if a student has an individual education plan or yeah. maybe have a 504 accommodation and things like that, if this is not like, it's not so hard and fast that we can't deal with the individuals. What we really want to do is get down to taking care of the needs of each individual student. And that doesn't, that doesn't remove the hardship from families and, uh, I, I certainly do understand that. We want to get back just as quick as we can. Yeah. Uh, Superintendent, thank you so much for your time. Larry Madden with the Salt Lake City School District. Uh, get some sleep. All right? I do not envy your position. I know that you bear a heavy burden right now, and uh, a lot of folks are looking to you for leadership and guidance, and, uh, and I include myself in that. So, uh, again, thank you for your work. Uh, thank you for this plan, and best of luck to you. Thank you, Lee. Alrighty, we're going to take a break here in a moment, and when we return, we're going to change uh, course a bit. I want to tell you there is a press conference in the makings right now. It will be uh, hosted by an attorney, Robert Sykes. You have uh, certainly come to be familiar with that name. He very often is an attorney representing families or individuals who have grievances with uh, police departments or police officers. Well. 
he will be arranging a press conference, which will kick off in uh, about five minutes from now. And included in that conversation will be Tiffany and Aaron James. Those are the parents of Zane James. Zane James, the young man who a few short years ago in May of 2018 uh, was shot to death by police. As it was alleged, he uh, was fleeing a pair of armed robberies. Uh, he was later found uh, to have a, uh, an air gun, I believe it was, uh, and he was reaching for that as uh, police were pursuing him, again, as all uh, was alleged by the police. Uh, Sim Gill not filing charges against those officers involved, and it was uh, on the occasion of his 20th birthday that the protest was planned just last night for Mill Hollow Park. So uh, Robert Sykes, attorney, along with the parents of Zane James, will be appearing at a press conference coming up. We'll bring that to you live here on KSL News Radio.